All right. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 15? We're going to continue our study in Matthew's Gospel, picking up where we had uh, left off before Palm Sunday and Easter. And so we're in chapter 15, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 20 this morning. I'd like to read that for us as we begin. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And they asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. And then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Let's pray. Father, as we consider today what it means to be holy, I pray that you would help us to understand that, to value it, to want to live a life that is pleasing to you and to understand that, again, we can only do that by your grace and by your Spirit. So teach us today as we look into your Word. Amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness? You know, a, a fourth grade teacher wanted to find out if any of her students had heard that phrase before, and so she asked them to complete this sentence. Cleanliness is next to... And after a brief pause, one of her fourth grade boys said, Impossible. <laughs> You know, for a fourth grader, that's probably true. The whole idea of picking up your room or making your bed or washing your hands may seem kind of unnecessary. But where did that idea come from that cleanliness is next to godliness? I mean, some people probably think that's a verse in the Bible, but it's not. Just like some people may think that the verse, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible, but that's not in the Bible either. It might be from the Old Testament where this concept was where cleanliness was intended to teach people about holiness. 
God's people were to be holy. They were to be set apart for Him. And so there were rules. There were laws that govern diet. Those were called kosher laws. There were rules that govern um, washings, disease, contact with those who had died. All of these kind of things that were intended to teach people about holiness and our tendency to be unholy or unclean. But the problem was that some of the Jewish leaders and teachers added to God's Word other restrictions. And they became so focused on externals that they missed the mark. They forgot that holiness is primarily a matter of the heart. And that what God is concerned about most is kosher hearts. You know, we can fall into the same trap if we are not careful. So how do we avoid that danger and really focus on what is important to the Lord? Well, that's where I think this passage and the teaching that Jesus gives here is so instructive. This passage shows us three things that we must do if we are to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Number one, hold to the Scriptures as our highest authority. We must hold to the Scriptures as our highest authority. Matthew tells us that at this time a group of religious leaders and teachers of the law, experts, came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Alright, and this seems to be, you know, not just kind of by chance, this seems to be some sort of official delegation that was sent out to investigate this itinerant rabbi and what he was teaching. They came to examine him, and as they observed the behavior of the disciples, They decided that that would be their approach. Their attack came through the disciples, but it was obviously an attack upon Jesus, their teacher. And they asked the question, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders by not washing their hands before they eat? Why do these guys do that? Why don't you follow what clearly the elders have taught? You see, Jesus' disciples here were accused of breaking what was known as the oral law. The oral law. And what was the oral law? Well, after the Babylonian exile, the rabbis began making meticulous rules and regulations that governed personal conduct, really in all areas. But they actually believed that this oral law was first given to Moses... And then it was passed along from generation to generation to the priest. And they believed that it was just as binding as the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. That's how they viewed this oral law. So you were supposed to know it and follow it, obey it. Now in Jesus' day, this oral law was still in oral form. It would not be written down and codified in a book until around 200 A.D. in something that was called the Mishnah. And then after the Mishnah was written, then a whole commentary developed from the Jewish rabbis who wrote about the Mishnah, and that book was called the Gemara. And then those two books, the Mishnah and the Gemara, were put together in one volume called the Talmud. Now you may have heard those names, and that's kind of how it fits together. So they had this big book of rules and regulations on everything that you were supposed to do to be holy, to live a life pleasing to God. But how does Jesus address this? Jesus answers their question with a question of his own. He asks them about the law. 
Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And Jesus quoted two commandments here from the book of Exodus. He quoted the commandment to honor your father and mother. Aren't we to do that? And he also uh, quoted the commandment in Exodus 21, the command to put to death anyone who curses his father or mother. That's how serious this was to be, that you were to show respect for your parents. And what they had done in the oral law was to provide a way that someone could evade his responsibility to care for their parents. And the way that they could do that was through this practice of giving a gift devoted to God. It was called a korban. And so if you were a greedy son, you could say, you know, I don't really want to help my parents. I could just dedicate this gift to the Lord and and, uh, place it under the band and it's given to the Lord. And so, sorry, Mom and Dad, I can't help you. Now, the interesting thing about that gift was that it could still be used by the individual and it could also be nullified in the future, say, after your parents had died. You know, it was a way that they could avoid keeping the commandment. And it is shocking to think that they regarded this as higher or as a way that they could avoid what God had clearly said they were to do. No wonder Jesus called them hypocrites. He called them phonies. And he quoted Isaiah 29 here, and he said that Isaiah was right when he said about you that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are but rules taught by men. Not only were they hypocrites, but they had elevated their tradition over the Word of God. Now, Jesus says a lot of important stuff in this passage, but this one really stands out to me. What Jesus is saying to us is that there is no higher authority than God's Word. There's no higher authority than God's Word because God's Word is a reflection of God Himself. And God's Word takes precedence over the traditions of men, God's Word is higher than man's law. When the two are in conflict, we are to obey God and not the laws of men. Peter, John, you know, in the book of Acts, they made that very clear when they were threatened by the religious leaders to no longer preach or speak in the name of Jesus. They said, judge for yourselves whether it is right for us to obey you or God. They would choose to follow God even if it meant civil disobedience. We see in the Scripture that God's Word is eternal, that heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. That God's Word is powerful. It pierces to the division of bone and marrow, to soul and spirit. It is living and active. It judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. God's Word is true. Jesus said, Sanctify them in Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. And God's Word transforms our mind. When Paul wrote in Romans 12 that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, he said, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And how is our mind renewed? It is by that living and active Word of God. And we need to settle this in our heart. God's Word is true, 
and it has authority over every area of our life. But Jesus also would say something else. We've talked about this in previous passages, is that Jesus claimed to be the authoritative interpreter of Scripture. Because when we look at the Old Testament and we look at the New Testament, there are differences. And there are things that we no longer do today. We do not follow the ceremonial law. We don't follow everything that was there in the Old Testament. But why is that? It is because of Jesus and His death and resurrection and His teaching. It's His teaching that fulfilled the intent of the law in all of its details... But in us, He calls us now to live by the power of the Spirit and to listen and follow His instructions that He gave to the disciples too. It's important that we learn to live by the Word of God because God's Word is being challenged every day by the culture around us. There are moral and ethical challenges that we see. And there are questions that come up And you can put those up morally, ethically, about things like marriage, about premarital sex, about homosexuality, abortion, all of those areas that are really hot buttons today. You know, and so what do we believe about marriage? What do we believe about cohabitation? Uh, When we see that more and more couples are living together before marriage. In the 60s, it was about 10%. Today, it's about 60% of couples who live together before marriage. Well, what does God's Word say about that? What does God's Word say about premarital sex, even though there are many who engage in premarital sex before marriage? What does God say? And what commitment does He honor? Homosexuality, homosexual behavior. Is that sin? What about abortion? What about that child in the womb? Is that a child that is to be protected and defended? Is that a human life? And is abortion murder the taking of an innocent life? What does the Scripture say? God's Word gives direction on all of those areas. You can look at the others. Doctrinally today, uh, things are being challenged about the way of salvation. Is Jesus the only way to God? What about universalism? Some teach that. That all will be saved in the end, so it really doesn't matter what you believe. What about hell? That's being redefined, or that's not a real place, or there isn't eternal punishment. And there are those who challenge the authority of Scripture and who want to say it's just the writings of men. You can look at other challenges to God's Word too. Traditions. In the Catholic Church, they have elevated tradition and the authority of the Pope and what he says to that level of Scripture. Is that right? What is Jesus saying here in this passage? And Protestants... There are times when we can say, well, we wouldn't put tradition on that authority, but we can sometimes allow our traditions or our preferences to get in the way of God, of what God has asked of us, and we confuse things like form and function, that uh, the forms of how we do things, how we worship, how we pray, when we come together, the times that we meet, you know, all of those forms may change from time to time depending upon what is most effective, but the function... Prayer, worship, evangelism, study of the Scriptures, those are all essential. They do not change. But we need to think through that to make sure that we are not kind of nullifying the Word of God and what He asks of us by traditions that we may be holding to. And then there are the cults who have extra-biblical teaching or books like the Book of Mormon. You have those who want to say that the Gnostic Gospels are true when they are not. 
you'll have all kinds of challenges in our world to the authority of God's Word. That's why it is so important that we nail down what we believe about the Bible and that we look at what the Scripture even claims for itself. And that's why when you come to the end of Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 28, Jesus said in His Great Commission, He commanded the disciples to go and teach others to obey everything that I have commanded you. We are to teach and obey everything that He commanded the disciples. This was a conviction of Martin Luther. And I think of when he took his stand and he was questioned by the councils that were wanting him to recant of his position. He said, Unless I am convinced by Scripture and by plain reason, and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. You know, there are some things to die for. There are some hills to die on. And this is one of them. This is one of them. What we believe about the Scripture. Because if you come to that solid conviction that God's Word is truth, it is the guide for all of faith and practice, then it answers those other questions that our society is wrestling with and grappling with. And it gives us that moral compass that we need. It gives us the direction that we need. God's Word is truth. Hold to the authority of Scripture. Could I hear an amen on that? Amen. 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 Secondly, be careful who you follow. And I want us to look at verses 10 to 14. Here Jesus turned to the crowd and he said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth is what makes him unclean. Now we can understand why the Pharisees were offended by what Jesus said. What's funny, though, is that the disciples thought maybe Jesus didn't notice that, and so they came to him and they said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? A little bit of humor there, you know, like, Jesus, didn't you notice that? Jesus knew that. And think of what Jesus said about them. He said that their entire understanding of Scripture and the oral tradition was wrong. Their hearts were far from God. Their worship of God was in vain. They were hypocrites and blind guides. They do not belong to God. My Father has not planted them. That's what he means in verse 13 when he says, Every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. My Father has not planted these religious leaders. They are phonies. That is shocking. I mean, look at that list. I mean, think of what that would have been like if Jesus today comes and He talks to religious leaders who have moved away from the authority of God's Word but still have all the trappings of being religious. You know, they're going through all the rites, all the rituals, saying the right things maybe even. But their heart isn't right with God. These were the most highly regarded religious men of the day. And they were wrong. And Jesus said, leave them. Leave them. 
That is indeed shocking. But it reminds us that it is possible for a pastor, a priest, a church, a denomination to appear religious and be wrong, dead wrong, in what they are saying and teaching. And the best thing that we could do for our spiritual well-being would be to leave them. Now the alternative is not to think that I can do this all on my own. There are some people who have been hurt in churches or who have been disappointed by pastors or religious leaders and they kind of give up on the church and think that, well, I can just do this on my own. It's just me and God. I can work that out. I would say to you that that is equally foolish. That is equally foolish. That we need one another in the body of Christ. The answer is not to give up on the church. The answer is not to give up on uh, pastors or teachers who are teaching the Word of God. The answer is to follow those who follow Christ. Follow those who hold to the authority of Scripture. Follow those who teach that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Follow those who teach that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Be like the Bereans who search the Scripture to see if what Paul said is true. Now think about that. Acts 17. They're searching the Bible to see if what Paul the Apostle is saying is true. (laughs) I think about that and I go, you know, that's amazing. I mean, God was using him, but they just want to make sure. And how do they make sure? They search the Scriptures. Don't be like the Galatians who were so easily deceived that they fell away from the grace of Christ and the Gospel. You know, I look at my own life today, I would not be where I am today if it were not for the grace of God that saved me and opened my eyes to see the Scripture. And if it were not for godly men and women whom God brought into my life to teach me and to pray for me. We need one another in the body of Christ. But it is very important that we follow those who follow Christ. And then thirdly, we need to remember that holiness is a matter of the heart. Holiness is a matter of the heart. There were three groups that Jesus addressed that day. There were the Pharisees in verses 1 to 9. There was the crowd in verses 10 to 14. And then the disciples in verses 15 to 20. He had this conversation with the Pharisees who questioned his authority. He turned to the crowds. He wanted to make sure that they didn't miss it, that they understood what he was teaching. But here what we see is even Peter and the disciples were slow to understand what Jesus was saying here. Now in their defense... For Peter, all of his years of training as a Jew were being challenged by Jesus. All all of the teaching he had learned about washings and rituals and dietary laws and all of those things that were part of the Old Covenant were being challenged. And he wanted to be sure that he was hearing Jesus correctly. And so Jesus told them plainly that what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. It's what comes out of his mouth that makes him unclean. It's not what's on, excuse me, it is what's on the inside that matters most to God. And no amount of washing can make a man clean before God. 
I mean, washing your hands before you eat may be good hygiene, but it's not going to make you holy. You can do all of these kind of ritual things, but if the heart is not right, it really doesn't mean a thing. It's just going through the motions. He would say of the Jewish leaders later in Matthew's Gospel that they were like whitewashed tombs. They strained gnats and they swallowed camels. They didn't even see it or recognize it. You know, I mean, Jesus used this humor. Those are funny pictures. Think about somebody having, you know, their tea and they're straining out a little insect in there. Instead, they swallow a camel and they don't recognize that they're choking on something. It'd be like buying a brand new car, driving it 100,000 miles, and every time you fill on gas, you get that car washed, and you vacuum out the inside, and you clean it, and it looks beautiful on the outside, but you never bother to check under the hood. You never change the oil. You never get it serviced. That car's going to be shot. (laughs) Your engine's going to be fried when that oil is gone, and it's burned to a crisp. That's what they were doing spiritually. They forgot what is essential. We can't make ourselves holy by our religious works or good behavior. Just going to church doesn't make a person holy. Just, you know, saying a prayer doesn't make a person holy. There is more to that. There has to be this heart relationship, but ultimately only God can make us holy. And that's why we we say and we affirm that we are saved by grace. It is by the, the grace of God that we are saved. It's not by our works. It's not by something that we do. What we need is a new heart. And we need to be born again because this fallen nature, this sinful heart that we have is so desperately sick that it cannot be mended or repaired. We need a new heart. And that's something only God can do when we are born again. And we are sanctified by grace. We don't come to Christ by faith and His grace and then kind of say, okay, now we have to do it all ourselves from here on out. We need to walk with God every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a part that we must do to be obedient and to walk with Him, but it is God's grace that sanctifies us by the Word by our fellowship, by our worship, by time we spend with Him. And we need to put into practice those things that have been called spiritual disciplines, but they only work when they're done from a heart that wants to please God and know Him. God, would You do that work in us? We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, the Scripture says, because God is at work in us to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. You can go to the next slide. And you can see in Hebrews 12, 14, go to the next one. He says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy, because without holiness no one will see the Lord. I'd like to close this message with a story. You know, every year thousands of tourists come to visit the ruins in Athens, Greece. And while there, many of the tourists that come to those sites like to see the Parthenon and the Acropolis, they want to take something home with them. They want a piece of the rock, if you will, or they want to pick up maybe something that they think is a fragment of that uh, Acropolis or the uh, fragment of the Parthenon and those buildings that are there. You know, if everyone did that, 
those ruins would never have survived to today, would they? Everybody had taken a piece of it, it would be long gone. Well, the Athenians came up with an ingenious solution. Those marble fragments that the tourists pick up from the Acropolis, they didn't actually fall from those ancient temples. The marble chips are from a quarry at Mount Pentelicum, many miles away. And every few months, a truckload of chips are scattered around the Parthenon and the other temples atop the Acropolis. The tourists are happy with their souvenirs, and the Greeks are happy that their ancient ruins are spared. But how often in this world we are offered something only to find out later that it was bogus. Every day someone promises us happiness or meaning, but there's only one source of true meaning and purpose in life. There's only one place to find forgiveness, to find eternal life, to find real joy, and that is in Jesus. It's in Jesus that we find that real hope, real love, and real life. Don't be fooled, and don't settle for anything less than the real thing when it comes to your faith. Hold to the Scriptures. Cling to the truth of God's Word. Follow those who follow Christ. And walk in obedience with Him day by day. Let's pray. Father, these are good words. These are words to live by. These are words that can anchor our faith deeply if we will hold to the Word of God as our authority. Lord, I pray that in areas where maybe we have wavered on that or doubted Your Word, that You would forgive us and build that conviction deep in our heart. Where maybe we have been tempted to follow those who do not know You or walk with You, Lord, forgive us. And help us to follow those who have gone before us who were faithful who loved you with all their heart, who taught the Word of God faithfully. Help us to follow those who follow Christ. And Lord, where we have disobeyed you in your Word, where it has been clear, and we've been tempted and given in to sin and disobedience, would you set us free from those things that so easily entangle us and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, that author and perfecter of our faith. And help us to walk with you by your grace each day in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Amen.